Thank you, Brenton and the team for leading us. It's great to be uh, gathered this morning and singing about our great God and lifting our hearts to Him. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, I've been away for about a bit over three months, so it's every chance that I haven't met you. I'd love to say hi to you afterwards if I haven't. Uh, but my name's Tony and I'm one of the pastors and today I've got the privilege of opening God's Word with you. And this morning we are wrapping up our series in the book of Haggai. And what a great series it's been, hey? Like seriously, who would have thought two pages, actually not even two pages in my Bible, of, an, of a document thousands of years old would, have, would pack such a punch and be so pertinent and relevant to us right here, right where we are today. I don't know about you, but it's challenged me uh, and still is. I think, you know, that resounding call that happens at the beginning but kind of keeps going through the whole book and I think we'll keep going again today for us to consider our ways. You know, it's a thinking book, isn't it? It's a reflecting book. From the outset, it's saying, you know, don't just kind of go through and plunder through and roll on through life without taking time to kind of take stock. And think, with the help of the, of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, consider your ways. Um, it's been awesome. And it's actually the grace of God to us, don't you think? Do you know what I mean? If, uh, for those of you who are parents, if, you're, if your child's heading off down a path, uh, you know, heading towards war, and just kind of go, oh, yeah, see you later. You're like, no, 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 t- consider your ways, come back this way. That way is not a good way. Why do you say that? Because you love them. And you care about them. And it's your kindness to them. And so even in those three words, consider your ways. It's not a condemning kind of, you know, uh, judging, uh, harsh thing. It's coming from the heart of a loving father. Yes, it's powerful and convicting, but it's coming from our God. And we often pray something like this when we open God's word together. Maybe we'll do it this morning in a minute or two. We pray words or phrases like this, Lord, thank you that you are the God who speaks, that you haven't left us in the dark. You could have, but he hasn't. That you have spoken to us by your word and ultimately in your son, Jesus Christ. And that's definitely the case here in Haggai as God speaks to his wayward people. Uh, Four times we've heard the refrain, perhaps if you read it through, we're going to come to the last two today. This refrain, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. And each time God speaks to his people, it's for their good and for his glory. And as we hear what he says to them again today, we will hear what he's saying to us in what he says to them. So turn in your Bibles to Haggai uh, chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 10 through to 23 and pray. And then we'll do a bit of a recap and dive into this section uh, for some of our time. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 10. I'm reading from the ESV. It's up on the screen, but great to have it open in front of you as well because it won't stay up on the screen as we get going. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius... The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered, 
No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these holy things, does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now therefore, consider, there's that word again, from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. Verse 17, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Verse 20, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I've chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning as we gather like this that you are the God who speaks. You haven't left us in the dark. You've spoken to us by your word and ultimately in your son, Jesus. And so we pray that you would take that word now by the prophet Haggai and in the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring it home to our hearts and minds for your glory and for our good. Amen. So as we bring our series to, to a close, I thought it would be good just to briefly recap where have we been? Where have we been so far? Well, the people in Haggai's day had returned from exile in Babylon and they'd set about rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed. Uh, you probably know this already, but the temple was the centre of their identity as a nation, as God's Old Testament people. It was at the very heart of who they were. Why? Because God dwelt among them in the temple, his very presence with them. The God who had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. The God who, as we've sung this morning, is awesome and holy, whose presence alone shook Mount Sinai and caused the people to tremble with fear. This God who entered into covenant 
relationship with them, setting everything up, providing all the means for them to draw near to him and to relate to him through the temple and the sacrificial system at their very centre. Nothing was to be more important to them coming back into the land than giving themselves to the work of the Lord and rebuilding this temple that it was at the heart of their nation's life. But as we saw in chapter 1, because of adversity, amongst other things, the people had stopped building. In fact, they'd convinced themselves, human nature here, right? They'd convinced themselves, because we're pretty good at convincing ourselves, they'd convinced themselves that it actually wasn't the right time built. And rather, it was the right time to focus on themselves, to focus on their houses, to focus on their comfort, to focus on their security and their families and their ambitions, while all the while the house of the Lord laid in ruins. The work of the Lord was neglected by the people of God. And in this, they tragically neglected their God. And sinned against him. But God, in his powerful grace, sent his word to them through the prophet Haggai. And in doing so, he powerfully and pointedly called them to consider their ways, to repent of their idolatry, to put their trust in their God afresh to reprioritize the purposes of God and the work of the Lord and to give themselves to it. And in chapter 1, verse 12, what we see is nothing less than amazing, right? Have a look there if you've got a Haggai open in front of you. This word came and then we're told Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Amazing. What we see here, and it's easy just to brush over it, right? What we're seeing is deep and widespread repentance among God's people. Zerubbabel the governor, Joshua the high priest, and all the remnant of the people we're told obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, which is absolutely amazing. I don't know whether you know this, but in fact, other than Jonah, no other prophet had this kind of response out of all the prophets when they brought the word of God to the people of God. So you have to conclude, right, that God is doing a powerful work here, a gracious work in their lives to these undeserved people who have rejected him. He's, his, he brought his powerful word by his spirit to them and things changed. Repentance was expressed. Direction was altered. His kingdom was prioritised. And just a point of application here, friends, don't we need this too? Don't we need this kind of grace too? Don't we need the word of, the, 
of God, brought home to us powerfully by the Spirit of God, that we might consider our ways and not just kind of blunder on in our blindness and self-deception, justifying to ourselves whatever we're doing that's not the priorities of God, but our own kind of selfish pursuits and endeavours. Don't we need the word of, the word of God brought home to us in the power of the Spirit of God that we might obey the voice of the Lord and give ourselves afresh to his work? And because we do need this so much, don't we need to ask for this? This needs to be in our prayers, both for ourselves and for one another, regularly. Father, would you bring your word to us as your people by your spirit in a way that brings us life and changes us? That we might not go and hear it and just walk away like that person in James who looks in the mirror and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's beautiful what happens here. And we need that too. I need that. I'm just assuming you're, you're similar to me. Now, it didn't take long, actually, for them to need it again. Right? Chapter 2. What happens? Well, they get going on the work of the Lord, but it doesn't seem long and they're all discouraged and downhearted and even disillusioned. Seven weeks it lasted, the initial kind of burst. And then there's you know, people who were there back in Solomon's days, some of the oldies, and they're like, oh, this is nothing compared to the old days. And there's the young people going, oh, yeah, actually it's not very impressive, is it? It's just like a, you know, the new temple that they're building. It's nothing on Solomon's temple. Someone who I was listening to about this said it's kind of like an outhouse out the back of the real temple. It's that small and unimpressive, and so they're all disillusioned and discouraged and kind of you know, maybe ready to give up again. And God sends his word by the prophet Haggai. And what does he do? He doesn't try and talk it up and say, no, 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 this temple's as good as the other one. That's not what God does, does he? What's he do? He reminds them that though it doesn't look that impressive, he is with them. And his spirit is still in their midst. Yes, at first glance. It may not look much, but the presence of God is with his people. He encourages them by reminding them of, of his presence, but he also encourages them by reminding them of a glorious future that's up ahead in verse 6 to 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. God is going to act again at some point in the future powerfully and decisively. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Just picture that for a sec. 
the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. He's going to shake. He's going to do something of cosmic significance. His kingdom will come in greater fullness at this time. The nations will bring their treasures into God's house and his glory will fill it. And God himself says it's going to be greater than even Solomon's temple. God is going to come close again and do a powerful thing in the future. He reminds them of his presence and promises a glorious future to them. So keep at it, people. Keep at it. Walk by faith, as we heard last week, and not by sight, and keep at it. No matter how things appear on the surface, at first glance, if you like, trust in God that he is with you and that he will do what he's promised. So all that by way of recap. And now we come to the last two prophecies of Haggai. It's actually probably one broken into two. They come on the same day, but there's kind of two parts to it, two speeches, if you like. I don't know about you as I read it earlier, but the first one, maybe you thought this as we were going through, like, what's this about? You know, food and the hem of someone's garment and making things unholy and clean. and How does that fit into shaking the heavens and the earth and, and all that sort of stuff? Oh, it's interesting, isn't it? It took us a little bit of a while. I had to have a pastoral team meeting to kind of wrestle through this and I, I needed some serious help. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we've, we've got some clarity. Now, God starts speaking to the issue of their spiritual defilement and their impurity. Yeah? You see, the old covenant uh, had this whole area of clean and unclean, holy and unholy in the old covenant. And this is what's being raised here in verses 11 to 13. We read it before, but and the, the point that's being made really clearly is this. When holy things come into contact with unholy things the holy things don't make the unholy things holy in fact quite the opposite that which is unholy when it comes into contact with holy things actually defiles it and corrupts it and so God's law is really clear that unholy things must not come near to that which is holy unclean things must be kept away from that which is clean so then notice what we see in verse 14. What does God say to them? Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Oh, this is a problem, right? It's kind of shocking almost. Everything they do is unclean because of their sin, their work and their worship are defiled and corrupt. And that means this. They should have no place in the presence of God nor in the purposes of God. Rather, they should be separated from God because of their sin and their identity, sorry, idolatry. 
Uh, God reveals in chapter 15, verse 15 to 17, that he's been kind of drawing, trying to draw their attention to this for a while. He's been, they've been under his loving discipline for quite a while. In the covenant he made with them, there was, there was what's known as the blessings and the curses. You can find them at the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 26 through to 28. And essentially, it meant this. If they were faithful to the covenant that God had made with them, they would experience covenant blessings in the land. They would experience uh, fruitful wombs. The wives would have fruitful wombs and there'd be lots of descendants. Their, their crops would be bumper and they would have peace in the land. That is from their surrounding enemies. They would know shalom. But they, if they weren't, they would experience the covenant curses. God would withdraw this blessing from them. Their crops would fail. Their enemies would start to encroach. Why? So that they might read the play and think to themselves, oh, this is the covenant curses. God is being faithful to the covenant he made with us by bringing these judgments upon us so that we might repent and come back, which is exactly God's complaint. Verse 17, I struck you, and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. He didn't repent. He didn't read the play. They were defiled by their sin. And worse than that, they were unrepentant of their sin. What a terrible place to be, don't you think? Defiled and enslaved. Defiled and enslaved, unwilling to let it go. Unwilling to turn from it. But as God says to them in verse 17, yet you did not turn to me, Remember, though, that God sent his grace to them and when they were in this place. God sent his word by the prophet Haggai. God sent his spirit among them and did a gracious work in them. It wasn't after they kind of pulled their bootstraps up and you know, started doing better and trying harder. No, no, God was the one who initiated this this change and this grace. God granted them repentance and the people obeyed his voice. And notice what he says in verse 19. Is the seed yet in the barn? Is the vine, the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree, they've yielded nothing at this point? Yes, you've repented. The crops haven't been harvested yet. But from this day on, I will bless you. I will bless you. God promises to bless his undeserving people. The God who is holy is pouring out his grace on unholy people and giving them a place in his presence and a place in his purposes. And in the Lord Jesus, he does the same for us because we are no more holy than them. 
We are also defiled by our sin and left to ourselves. We are enslaved to it as well and we do not want to give it up and we won't let it go. But God in his kindness sends his word by his spirit, especially the word of the gospel, and opens our blind eyes to see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, granting us repentance that we might turn from our sin and put our trust in him. And in that, he makes unholy people holy, unclean people, clean, and then he gives us a place in his presence and a place in his work. And I think one of the big things that God is saying to the people of Haggai here, who had firstly stopped the work of the Lord, like dishonouring it, disregarding it, so that they could kind of focus on themselves, and secondly, were looking just on the surface and becoming a bit disillusioned, I think one of the things he's saying to them is this is the privilege I've given you to be involved in it. So don't think, oh, should I serve or should I not serve? I wonder if I'll serve. I suppose I will. No, 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 no. We get to do this. We get to be involved in what God is doing in his world, in his church. And yes, from one angle, sometimes it might look like nothing. And yes, we get discouraged from time to time. But God is saying, Don't, this is the awesome privilege I've given you in my grace to be involved in what I'm doing, to partner with him. How does Paul describe himself? We are co-workers with God. People who are unholy. People who should be nowhere near him. People whose hands weren't clean, whose hearts were not clean. This is the privilege of grace. We get to do it. We share this privilege now as his people. You know, one of the things I've... Uh, it's been a long time since I've been at school, but one of the things I had a lot of difficulty with in high school was having to choose what I was going to do with my life. And I'm like 14. And they're starting to talk to me about, what's your career going to be? I'm like, career? What are you talking about? I'm 14. I haven't got a clue what I'm supposed to do. But I do remember hearing things like, you need to find your dream job, you know? What's the other one? If you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. There it is. <laughs> That's the dream. It's not true. <laughs> find your dream job. Friends, when Jesus rescues us, he gives us a dream job. Together. But the sad thing is we often kind of, I don't know, we either don't see it or we lose sight of it or we don't value it. But this is it. I talked last week about how caravanning for 13 weeks is not living the dream. It's not. This is the dream. Being able to be near to God by his grace and involved in what he's doing. Wherever that might be, not just in his church as it gathers, but in your workplace, in your home, in your street, Wherever he's placed you, 
This is our dream job. God graciously blesses us with his presence. We get to draw near to him. Wow. And we get to serve him. We actually get to do that. So, next time the volunteer call comes up, you know, maybe you're already serving and you're tired, you know, and that, I don't know, that year three class just seems to, you know, not be taking on anything I'm trying to teach them about Jesus. Sometimes it's a battle just to keep them from, you know, killing each other. I don't know, I've never been out there, so it's probably not like that at all. Maybe you're tired. Yeah, that's okay. I want to say that's normal sometimes, to be tired in the work of the Lord, but not to be tired of the walk with the Lord. And we get that mixed real easy, right? We need to remind ourselves, hey, it's God's grace that I get to serve him in some way and maybe there's a place for yeah I'm doing too much and I need to, I need to balance that up or, or whatever friends if you're here this morning and you declare to yourself and to others that you're a follower of Jesus and you're not serving in any way can I, can I plead think about that because I reckon you're missing something part of the privilege that Jesus has won for you, you're not actually receiving that. That you might not only enjoy God, but that you might enjoy being involved in his work. It got me thinking about the angels. You know, they're 24-7, right? We need to sleep, I know that. (laughs) But I wonder, do they ever think the thoughts we think about serving Probably not. They're perfect. We're sinful and flawed, but that's where we're going. You know? All right. We share this privilege. And lastly, the last few verses uh, is, is different again. The word of the Lord came a second time on the same day to Haggai on the 24th of the day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens. There it is again. And the earth, and to overthrow thrones of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of kingdoms of the nations and overthrow chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down. Every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I'll make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you declares the Lord of hosts. Again, God lifts their eyes to the future glory of his coming kingdom. Again, we've got this language of shaking, which points to his appearing in power. And God promises that he's going to establish this kingdom of his finally and decisively. Um, Did you notice the language there he uses? I'm about to. He says it twice. I'm about to do this. I'm about to shake the heavens and I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. Now clearly, this is not so much about the immediacy of what is being said, but about the certainty. From the Lord's perspective, it's as good as done. It's as good as done. 
And did you also notice the language here taken from the Exodus? I'm going to destroy the strength of kingdoms. I'm going to overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brother. That sounds like Exodus, doesn't it? What's Haggai doing? Well, he's drawing on what happened then to describe what he's seeing now. He's seeing a new Exodus. He's seeing a great deliverance of salvation. His enemies are defeated, where God's people are set free. And we're told God will do this through Zerubbabel, who he will make like a signet ring. Now, we know this cannot be Zerubbabel himself. He's just a governor. He's under the king of Persia. He's been kind of installed just to kind of watch over things, but he's not in, he's not in power and the one prophesied here, though, is going to have God's signet ring, or, or, or more to the point, be God's signet ring. That is the, the symbol and the way that God's authority and power is expressed. So who's this referring to? Well, you've probably guessed. And Matthew makes it not a guess, but makes it clear. If you look at the opening genealogy of Matthew's gospel, you will find Zerubbabel in there. In the line of King David. But as Matthew brings us down that line of God's promised Messiah, he brings us to Jesus, God's ultimate king, the one who will shake the heavens and the earth when he returns. And this kingdom, this King Jesus, when he comes, what's he going to do when he comes back? Well, he is going to share his glory with us. He's going to usher in, us into his eternal kingdom and you and I will be able to enjoy him forever. The sin, the shame, the suffering, it'll all be gone and we will know peace like never before. This will be the ultimate shalom. Friends, we share the privilege of ministry now and we will share the beauty of his glory then. We sing uh, this song that has these words in it. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new as you look around the world, as you look on your TV screens, perhaps as you look in your community, maybe even closer to home than that? Do you wish that it could all be made new? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Is anyone able to bring these glorious promises and plans to a crescendo and to their peak? Is there anyone who can do that? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He was David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? of all blessing and honour and glory, 
Is he worthy? He is. He is. I wonder this morning, friends, do we realise what we share in? Do we realise what we will share in one day? It's hard, isn't it? Because we can't see it. But I reckon there's one way you can tap into it. That groaning that you feel, that longing that you feel, that's it. That's a little, a little tap into a glorious future that we will share. Romans 8 says the people of God groan, waiting for the glorious liberty of the children of God to be revealed. And we do experience a foretaste of it now. Sometimes we don't see it at first glance. But the people of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, being changed by the grace of God and focused on the work of God, not perfectly, it's a little foretaste of a future day. Let's pray together. Father, we come again and we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, it's convicting. It's comforting. It's challenging. It's enlightening. And you've given it to us. And Lord, uh, the inabilities that we have to hear you speak to us in your word, you've also overcome by the person of your spirit. And so we pray, Lord, would you keep doing that for us and in us and grant us repentance and faith in an ongoing way that we might turn when we need to and trust when, we, when we're wavering. Father, we thank you that you are sovereign and that you're working out your purposes and in that you have, you have chosen to make clean, sorry, unclean people like us clean through your son and his perfect work on the cross as he atoned for our sin in order to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've made it totally appropriate now for us to be welcomed into your presence and engaged in your purposes. And we want to say thank you. We want to ask that you would help each other to uh, help one another to spur each other on. Lord, there are times when we, we do become disillusioned, we do become discouraged, and, and Lord, that's an opportunity for us, to maybe for one, someone else to come alongside us or for us to come alongside them and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Please help us to be the people of God. Please help us to consider our ways regularly, Lord, and to recognise that to do that under the power of your word and spirit is your kindness to us. Father, we thank you for each other. Lord, we don't look that impressive on the outside, on the, just at first glance, we're not. But your grace in our lives is amazing. And we pray that we might see it in all its fruit and, and fullness 
and that you might be glorified among us. In this way we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.